good friend of mine said to me the other day, because I was saying, I was saying how I was trying not to look at the car wrecks. Because I, I think I shared with you, I stopped watching TV. I completely live in a bubble. Like I love my little bubble and I just, but then sometimes I, I think, is this the right choice? I overthink, right? And we were just talking about specifically like, oh, but the car crash, you know, you can't help but look. And honestly, it's just such human nature. And she said to me, it's okay to look. It's okay to drive by and look. Just don't stop. Right. That's the key. Is don't stop. And Unless it was you're like, the only person on a lonely right, stretch of yeah, highway. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not stopping because it's bad for my mental health. Meanwhile, this person's in the ditch. So Unless you can help, of course. Unless you can The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. At the end of the show, I have Christine Buman. Christine's been on the show a couple times, and I absolutely love my conversation with Christine. She's very creative. We always start these conversations with not really a set of plan, other than we have a conversation, figure out what we're going to talk about. And today, we dove into a couple cool things. First, we talked about the biggest changes she made to her business in this last year and how it's really helped her. We do a bit of a deep dive into kind of mindset, mental health, talk about rest, how does she reset. And this is a different kind of episode in that we go back and forth and share some stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's a fun conversation. And then we also talk about overcoming fear and being authentic. So these are all things that relate to being successful, not only as a mortgage business, but just in life in general. So I think you're gonna enjoy this conversation. In the upcoming Ask the Experts segment, I talked to Reuven about the benefits of a virtual close. And I just wanna give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. So if you are a Canadian mortgage broker and you're like, man, how do I get my apps, you know, documents collected, make that easy. Finmo's got an amazing platform, application, document collection and submission platform that is fantastic. And you can check those guys out at finmo.ca. Hey, Christine, welcome back to the show. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. So I always love having conversations with you. We have a hard time turning on the recorder because we're just going off talking about space and like all this other crazy stuff because we both are wired that way and we both have a little bit of ADD, I think. But we're going to try to keep some focus on this conversation. And I'll start it off business-wise and we're going to get into some mindset. And you had posted something asking people about what kind of they'd like to hear about when we talk about mental health and mindset. But let's start with like very practical things. So in the last year, because business has been crazy, what's been the best change that you felt you made to your business in the last year? For me personally, I was going through some health challenges myself, which forced me to add more team members, which should have happened sooner rather than later. I mean, everybody kind of shares that same story. So for my business specifically, it was really assigning tasks that were the highest and best use of my time. And allowing myself the time to rest and acknowledging that rest is not weakness. It truly is a requirement to really flourish creatively, giving myself permission for rest and really reframing what rest is for myself. Right. Okay. I've got a few questions of this. So, okay. How many team members did you have at the beginning of the year and how many do you have now? I had one and now I have three. Okay. And so how has that changed your nine to five? So we do a lot of time blocking. I am a wild hippie at heart. So my business structure is considerably different than most. We've tracked our energy levels at each point of the day and what time we are most effective, what time we communicate best, what time we can flow within each other's workday. So we have structure. We're all moms trying to balance life right now as well. So Mm -hmm. we've structured in the time blocking of who's picking up at what time and everybody's day complements each other's. 
And then we've really gone through and figured out each other's personality profiles. Each person's role is tailored to who they are as a person, what they find most fulfilling. Of course, we all have to do tasks throughout the day that aren't amazing. But we're not like, hey, I don't love this part, but it's part of the job. But it's part of the job. And if the majority of the things that I do help me get up in the morning and actually feel like I'm contributing to the team, like I value the role that I have within the company, then that's really the long-term goal. And I think it ebbs and flows. You know, sometimes you think this is going to be awesome. I'm going to love doing this. And then it evolves. And and for me, I'm continuously changing things. So everything for me is personalized automation. So we have templates, but the templates change every few days. <laughs> so like, oh, this would be good to improve. Constantly, constantly improving. So I've really gotten off topic here. The question- No, no, you haven't actually. So you went from one team member to three. Yeah. And you said you track energy levels. How did you do this? So like what specifically, how did you figure that out? So I think we just really have a focus on being mindful of our thoughts and feelings and emotions and emotions, our feelings and just energy. So for me, I was noticing that at a certain point of the day, I would, to be totally honest, I would get really sick. So with my illness, I would start like physically getting sick at a certain time every day. And I would get frustrated with myself because I wasn't able to perform at the same level as I previously could. This is how it all kind of started. I thought, well, if I can't be the best version of myself during that 45 minutes, then why don't I give up that space to them? And then I can just utilize that for my little break time or whatever. Okay. So was there a certain time of day that you found that this happened to you? Like what was that? Yeah. Almost every day at three o'clock, I'd start throwing up. You start to like fade. And so then how would you recharge or would you just be done at that time? So for me, again, just with my specific health stuff, I would literally start throwing up at three o'clock every day. So I would usually just kind of get that over with, but allow myself five or 10 minutes after to just curl in a ball, recharge my energy and then come back at it. So I stopped booking meetings at that time. I mean, I didn't share with most people that that's what I was doing. Yeah, like, hey, I'm just gonna go throw up. I'll be back. I can do a meeting at like, I'll be yeah. Back, I'll be back. yeah. I mean, yeah. my team members knew a little bit, but at the same time, if it's not helpful or purposeful for people to know, then- What's yeah, the point, yeah. right? No, so. I, and I'm grateful that you're sharing with me because I think sometimes people, they look at you and you're doing a great business and you've got like energy and they're like, everything must be easy for you, right? Like <laughs> I guarantee you there's people listening to this going, oh, she's so lucky. And you don't realize that everybody has their own struggle and that there's adjustments that have to be made. And like you said, being mindful is important. So, okay, mm-hmm. I love this idea. So then I have a secondary question on this. So your team members, what did you identify in them to help them like, was there times of the day where you're like, okay, you can't work this time because you need to do X instead of this? Like, I'm curious about that. Uh, you said you're all I allow them each the time and the space to find that for themselves. Okay. I'm very much a, here's where I want to get to. Here's where we all want to get to. Let's be really clear on our vision. Yeah. And what do you each individually need from me? How can I support you to get there? However you get there is your own prerogative. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say do this and this and this. And they're amazing at giving me feedback. And yep. saying, you know, actually, it doesn't work for me this way. We do our, we do a team call every morning. And so my famous line is, be really mindful of the energy you're bringing to the team. Right. Because we overflow with our energy, right? And um, <laughs> so I had a tough week one week. And, and uh, one of my amazing ladies said to me, just so you know, last week, <laughs> the energy that you brought to the team wasn't awesome. So if we can just shift that and I was like, wow, thank you for calling me out on that. I needed it so badly. Right. And sometimes we forget that we are leading that that charge. We set the know? tone for the team, right? Oh so yeah. yeah. There's something yeah. that in the military they have this thing called commander's intent. And so if you say, hey look, you need to go take this hill and if you give somebody a very specific you got to go up the west side, you got like when they get on the ground, who knows if that's going to work. And so instead they say take the hill 
You're there. You make the decisions on how to get up it. We don't mm-hmm. care if it's up the left, right, whatever that looks like. And so you've done the same thing with your team members. It's like, yeah. here's the vision, the intent. I'm going to give you the flexibility within that to be like, hey, I got to go pick up my kid at three. You know, I got this going on. And if you hire good people, honestly, it's so much more fun because they're going to come back with creative ideas and things that you didn't even see. You're like, oh, right. So this is what I found. Okay, that's really good. Okay, so then I love this. So energy tracking, you're letting people kind of giving them the vision, but letting them figure out how to do that. How do you rest? So this is something I've been picking up too, because I have a hard time resting. And recently I went away to Mexico. We actually took our whole team for the training company to Mexico for four or five days. And I did not think about work at all. I couldn't even send somebody to work because nobody was there to do the work. So I was like, I had to be off. And I came back with a literally a mountain of ideas that just like poured out of me like an avalanche on the plane on the way home. So I'm like, dang, I got to do this more. So how do you do it? And how has that helped you? Yeah, we're cut from the same mold. I'm the same way. And I need that. My brain needs time to do a data dump and just process things. With the responsibilities I have at home and with my business, I don't have the privilege of just taking certain blocks of time frequently. So I've really tried to focus on where I'm most creative and where I escape the most. It sounds really silly, but for me, it's in the shower. So I definitely don't shower as much as I should now with COVID. And I actually was just this morning thinking I should put little notes. I've got little post-it notes all over, like as little reminders for myself. I really try to be mindful of that time, that 15 minutes or whatever I've got to myself of just wiping everything else out of my mind and giving myself permission to just be in that moment, let those crazy ideas come and go. And driving, if I can drive by myself, for me, it's very much quiet time. I really enjoy yeah. time. To How old are your kids? Seven and nine. Yeah. So, and you're busy and your husband, does he work away sometimes and stuff? Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. So then quiet time is probably like, ah, you know, Zen oh. garden, right? <laughs> totally. Um, and I try and meditate at night. So I think that's really helpful as well. I just took a trip to Toronto recently for a conference called Epic. Mm-hmm. And that to me completely shifted everything about my energy. It was exactly what I needed. So I've recognized in myself that what fills my bucket is having conversations with people like you, people who we can just really go off about ideas that you start here and then you end up way over here and you just feed off of each other and those ideas. I love that. That's what fills my bucket connecting with other people. So I've written a list. (laughs) I'm sharing this all with you, but I've written a list of the people that I connect best with and that I feel like the best version of myself with. And I just have an intention to spend, you know, one hour a month or whatever it is, really just sharing in that energy. And that feels like- Would you say you're an extrovert or introvert? That's a great question. I would say to most people, I would seem to be an extrovert, Yeah. but I would probably call myself an introvert. Right. I enjoy the time in my mind the most and being in large social settings exhausts me. I don't like the small talk. I don't like the Right. I like deep talks with people. So I'm an introvert as well. And I think a lot of people would think I'm not, but what I love is I recharge by myself. And if I'm in a big group of, I would much rather sit with one person and have a fascinating conversation than try to have a very superficial conversation with 50 people. That would just make me feel like exhausted so that's interesting okay so one thing I've noticed sorry yeah, off. one thing I've noticed with being sick is you only really allow people into your energy when you feel especially as somebody like us when you feel like it's safe you know so for example I'd be throwing up and like crying and just overwhelmed with everything and then I would pull myself together get on a call and just do what I had to do people would start saying to me but you sound so good oh you sound so good today and so then my response started to be oh I'm so glad the facade is making you feel comfortable that the what is 
the facade. So I then oh, I just stop there. Like, oh, you sound so good. But they're like, what? So like, how do you even? So what? How do people respond to that? Nothing, because like, I just go silent after. I do it all the time. I'm so glad the facade is making you feel comfortable. And they're like, <laughs> how do you respond? Totally, totally. Interesting. Like, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. That, okay, that's about being authentic. So I'm going to come back to this because this is a big shift that I've made in my mind in the last just the power of authenticity and just being you all the time and being comfortable with it. So I don't want to leave this for a second. So you talked about personality tests to understand your team. What did you use and what was the most useful? So several different online tools. You know what, honestly, I can't remember them off the top of my head. I can send you the links for them. We can share them. And then also just personal assessments. So constantly reevaluating every Friday, we do a Friday report of where they feel their workload is on a scale of one to 10, um, how they're feeling in general. I'm constantly doing the check-ins of how are you feeling? How can I support you more? Is there anything you want to talk about? I change the questions based on their desire. I'll say, do you want me to change these questions? Is there anything more that, because I feel like sometimes when you can type it in and then know that the conversation is going to happen, there's a little bit of a barrier, you know what I mean? Of right now I'm feeling X, Y, Z. So based on those, I've gotten to know them fairly well of what their needs are. And then I just regularly check in and say, what do you love doing? What do you not love doing? Whatever questions feel relevant at the time. And then from that, we've really narrowed down. I don't know whether it's a specific, you're a X, Y, Z, but we've narrowed down the personality. What's your spirit animal, but you're just really being intentional about understanding your team. So give me an example of when you say to your team member, like, you know, what do you love doing and not love doing? How have you adjusted their role? Or give me an example of like, How do you use that information to somehow change something? Okay. So for example, Monique, they're (laughs) going to be talking about them on the show. Uh, She's phenomenal on the phone. She is just the loveliest, kindest, most gentle soul. So, and I'll ask them like, what do you love to do that? What fills your bucket? That's my big bucket. So hers is yoga. She's very peaceful. And I love that she's an extension of that side of me because we're all just multifaceted, right? And Tasha is phenomenal with the intricate problem solving. Like she can hammer out tasks like there's no tomorrow. And so she doesn't love talking on the phone where most underwriters would be picking up the phone and going through that with the clients. We completely changed their roles and said, okay, well then one person's going to do this. The other person's going to do this. And here's how we can fit to mold what works best for your personality going forward. Right. So when I think about this is first, if you're listening, you got to map out what your process looks like. Like what, how does Christine want to cook? If you think if it's a kitchen, this is how we cook this. Yes. Your recipe. Now you bring people in. Page process document. Yeah. That gets changed all the time. And it is down to exactly what happens, scripts, everything. The 15 pages is just the bulk of the process. Then there are yeah. probably an extra 50. That creates a repeatable process, referable. So you have the process mapped, then you get people and you put them in specific roles. Yeah. But then if you're really smart, you don't just say, hey, you this is your spot. You're like, figure out, make adjustments based on personality, based on wiring, based on you know, natural skill set. And then that's when your team is really good. Like, because totally. it's like you're playing to their strengths, right? And so. I say to them, why are you here? Why do you work here? Mm-hmm. Really, at the end of the day, is it just for the paycheck? You know, what really, what drives you? What's your purpose? So for me, last year, I was really trying to look at my purpose and not just for me personally, but the business, right? I think everybody gets to a point in mortgage brokering. And Dustin always talks about this. There's a certain amount of money that you make once you pass that you start to say, what's this all for? Why am I killing myself putting pouring all this time and energy into something for what purpose? So I asked them to take some time to think about it. 
I spent a lot of time thinking and meeting about these things. And I said, what's your purpose for being here? And it was very, very interesting to me how different they were. And mm -hmm. so Monique had shared, you know, when I bought my first home, no one was there to guide me through the process. And I love being able to support people and make them feel safe and encouraged throughout the whole way, you know, and Tasha was more task driven again. So it's interesting to me what their, their purpose has to be in aligned with the business purpose with mine as well, but we can do tasks and we can have rules that complement what's most fulfilling to us as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're basically understanding your team's why their motivation. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're understanding their gifting and their talents. You're also saying their why. Mm -hmm. And it's always interesting because it's easy to project our why on other people. Like, of course, mm -hmm. they've got to think the same way as me, but they don't. Right. So let's talk about you touched on this. I'm glad my facade is working statement. So that's a very like a real thing to say to somebody. And what kind of responses have you been got from that? <laughs> I think... I'm such an awkward person in general. People don't really know how to respond to it. And, you know, it's probably one of those things that's not as purposeful as it should be. But for me, I haven't really been honest about how sick I was because, right. again, I didn't really feel a need to be. And I guess the reason why I would say it, I wouldn't say it to just random people. It was people who were yeah. close to me. At the coffee I, shop, Starbucks. Hey, how are you doing today? Glad my facade is working. And they're like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Okay, COVID has set in full force for Miss Fuman. Yeah, I think for me, it was, again, it was COVID that I was dealing with. And I've released judgment from my life years ago. And so feeling it from other people can get a little bit tricky for me as well. And I feel like when you tell somebody that you're sick, they want to use their scale of what they know and understand to be their level of sickness. And then they're going to place you on there. Uh -huh. So then they're going to say, how am I going to handle you? Because it makes people uncomfortable when you're struggling, right? Nobody else right. really wants to hear your struggles. So they want to sort of allocate you within their, you know, whatever, I can't think of the right term for that, but on how sick you are. Right. And that was my challenge was like, the number one thing people ask me all the time is, what are your symptoms? What really, right. like, and they really, I'm like, those are super embarrassing <laughs> and right. not something I'm going to share with anyone other than my family doctor, to be honest, right. but it's just such a new and unknown territory to deal with long COVID, to deal with COVID right. itself, to deal with all the emotions that are fueled behind it. You know, first thing people say, or sort of second after the symptoms is, were you vaccinated? When did you get it? You know, and they're not asking me that because they genuinely care about me and my well-being. And I right. know that they're asking it to validate or to maybe, you know, defend their narrative, whatever information they're looking to gather from me. Right, and right. Yeah, because then they use that story. Well, did you hear about, and this is yeah. why you need to do it, or this is why you shouldn't do this. And, yeah. you know, so interesting. Okay, so let's talk about authenticity. So one of the things that I have decided in the last year in particular, like I feel like I was had a high level of integrity to try to, but just being like literally honest about like, you know, there's times when you want to put spin on things, you know, and especially if you're in marketing and sales, I can spin stuff, baby. And I was like, whenever now I catch myself wanting to put spin, I'm like, whoa, hold on. What's the truth here? Right. Mm -hmm. And I learned this from somebody recently. It was like, always start with one true sentence. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to say, start with one true sentence. And you're seeming like a very authentic person. How has being authentic, like helped you or have you struggled with that? Or I'm just curious. That's a great question. I feel like vulnerability leads to trust and authenticity is such an overused word for sure, but it's just being ourselves and understanding ourselves. I'm very introspective. I spend a lot of time thinking about my own thoughts 
and, you know, thinking about other people's thoughts and actions. So I would say that being completely comfortable with myself and being okay with being imperfect. Were you, you know, ever I, uncomfortable with yourself? Oh yeah. I was a hot mess for a long time. Okay, so I've what had, changed? So how, how did you go from being like, nobody's like, Hey, I totally love myself and I'm amazing and I'm arrived. But like, can you think of a turning point where you went from like, okay, I really struggled with, you know, and now I feel like I've turned a corner. You know, I think every day I just try and be better than, better than I was yesterday, but I had a colorful childhood. I've had a lot of life experience over my years and I was the black sheep. I was the one who got used to being in the space that nobody thought would be anything in life. Mm-hmm. I was the disappointment. I was the one that was slightly irregular my whole life. And right. so, so is this, you're talking to your family, this is how your family, you think yeah, my you? family, my, I mean, life in general, I think we all go through those periods where we sort of have to lean into this discomfort or mold ourselves to be what we think society thinks we should be. I think that's just a part of life as well. Yeah. But for me personally, I definitely spent a lot of time. Yeah. Living outside of what society would consider normal. I have a great night education, so I got kicked out of school, living on my own, just had a different, different life. Really? See, like, it's interesting. I would not have, like, obviously you don't know people's stories. So how many siblings are in your family? I have one older sister. Okay, so you're the baby. Mm-hmm. And you know what I find, too, is that when I think about authenticity, I think about, and I have these things I call my first principles. I read them every morning because I, I got AD. You have ADD, right? Mm, well, self-diagnosed, yeah. I got ADD, and I, they <laughs> put me on meds this year, and it's been yeah. Very helpful. We were talking uh, but, about the meds. I just came off of them this week. So that's why you'll notice that my brain is a little bit. Tired. Yeah. So I found them to be very helpful. So, but one of the things I do is every day I look at my principles of kind of how I want my think and be. And one of them is to tap my full potential. I must be a hundred percent authentic in all areas of my life, mm-hmm. which means I don't live in shame. I speak my mind that I'm okay with who I am. I'm perfectly imperfect. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to not use spin and I'm going to be completely honest in all situations. And mm-hmm. I have found that has been extremely free. But when you put on masks, masks are exhausting. Like when you're always like, oh, I got to be this. Pr-. And I know some people are very good at it, but you don't even know who you are anymore if you do this all the time. One of my favorite moments, and I think you've probably experienced it as well, is when you're getting to know someone, whether it's a stranger, when you're having one of those deep, connected, innate conversations and you feel it's like palpable, their energy, you feel their walls coming down and you're like, oh, here we are. Yeah. Now let's just talk. The real you is here. Yeah. Yeah. And you can feel that. That to me is just such a magical place to be in. And you can't get there without being completely authentic. And what a lot of people don't recognize is that when you're perfectly polished, when everything about you is amazing all the time. Yeah. It's like filtered Instagram, like hashtag no filter. Like no, you have filters, right? But when you're vulnerable, it extends permission to everyone around you to be equally as vulnerable and to be like, okay, yeah, she's a hot mess too. Awesome. We can all be just how we are. But we've all been around those people who are living in the facade. And then it's so uncomfortable because you feel like you have to be that way too, you know? Right. That's really good. I kind of feel like sometimes it's like high school. You know how high school is all about like... No, Scott, I just told you I got kicked out in grade nine. Okay, well, okay, well, high school... (laughs) So I'll explain how high school worked. Um, So basically high school is everybody trying to like put on a show and be a certain way and like have a certain look and it's so much pressure, right? But as we get adults, we do the same thing. It's just more sophisticated. 
Yeah. We just, we don't realize how much of our behavior and our choices and the things are, well, what are they going to think? And well, like, I can't post this. And, and so there's a lot of like posturing that happens, I think. So I want to shift gears slightly to like fear because, you know, we touched on a little bit of mental health stuff, but like, because you seem like somebody who seems kind of fearless to me. Like you seem like a, like a swing at for the fences, but share something that where you had felt some fear and then how did you get through it? Like, how do you get through those moments where you're like, oh, you know, this was scary for me. Yeah, great question. And I really do. I say that because my life experience has afforded me the ability to really be fearless. I really can't think of a situation that I couldn't overcome, that I'm not confident that I could overcome and do it well. I mean, we've talked about this previously as well, that everything we know to be true today will change, right? So just being completely okay with the unknown, I think is, is a big part of it. Being okay with being accountable, I have no problem owning mistakes. I think that really addresses a lot of the fear as well. And then just being acutely in tune with your mind. So when you start to, oh, that's fear. Okay, yeah, this is fear coming on. Let's just reframe that emotion and let's just shift the energy around it. Okay, you may or may not be able to do this on the fly. We didn't give you any questions before this. You and I just, (laughs) just shoot from the hip. But can you think of an example of where you were feeling that emotion of fear and you stopped and you're like, I'd love to know specifically and then how you reframe because I agree with you. It's all about, it's not the thing. It's how we look at it, the story we tell ourselves about it. So tell me about an example of that. If you can think of one. Fear in itself. I mean, I, I, I don't feel fear specifically. Well, fear feels like the, like the top level. What if it's Mm. like anxiousness or, you know, it's not fear, but it's like, I feel a little bit uneasy. That's like the lower levels of like the less extreme versions of, I think, fear. I think for people who have brains like us, anxiety is a real issue. And especially in the middle of a pandemic. So I would say at least once a day, I get that anxiety overwhelm. And then you have to just stop it before it happens. I have a lot of internal dialogue of like, no, no, stop, stop. And so it was an issue that I had with work on New Year's Day. I got an email and it was really upsetting to me. And I spent hours and hours dealing with this issue. But I knew that I had to deal with it. Because then it wipes out of my mind. I call it my mind space. If it's there, it's just going to completely occupy my brain, even if I try and get it out. So I dealt with it, but it still starts to creep in once it's been dealt with of like, oh, you're a piece of shit. Why did you do this way? You know what I mean? And and that anxiety starts to cycle in. So for me, I'm about visualizing everything. I'm a very visual person. And I just imagine like, whoop, that is gone. It's wipe it right from my mind. And I really, really try and catch it before it can get big. So as soon as that feeling starts, and it was more pronounced that day than it has been in a long time. There's a first day coming off my medication for my brain. So it was just trying to figure itself out, but it's so trivial. I love the Beatles song, Let It Be. That's my like, you know, my my little get into the groove. And I also have a mantra. I think everybody has their little mantras. I've been telling myself a few of them since I was in my wild years as a teenager. The first one is speak without offending, listen without defending. I say to myself over and over again every day I have for the last decades. And then the other one is this too shall pass. So as soon as I start to feel the overwhelm, I just keep saying to myself, this too shall pass, this too shall pass. And I remember the times that I've been in overwhelm that I felt like there is nothing worse. People who have really, really high highs also have correspondingly low. Yeah, I, I, oh, totally. And they're usually artists who write really amazing music. And then they go, and, you know, they totally. write from the highs and lows of that emotion, right? Totally. Um, and I tell my kids all the time, too, is like, we're in the dark right now. So when we're in the dark, when we're in a low low, you also really have to appreciate it because it allows us to be in the high high. So I think you've got to sit in it for a minute. And just say, oh, this is dark. This is really dark. 
But you know what? We're here. And this moment is going to allow me in the future to be even brighter, be able to appreciate the brightness in the future. So just, yeah, really going off course there. But no, no, that's like- okay. So I, you said speak without offending, listen without defending. That's a mm-hmm. brilliant mantra. And oh. then this too shall pass. So this is like your, so that's, these are like little internal mindset hacks that you have for yeah. dealing with this when something comes up that creates that inner you know, self-doubt, anxiety. I think that's great. So do you have any other sort of like, do you have a morning routine or anything that you do to try to keep, like, I'm curious, protect your mental health, I guess, if we're, we go down that path. Mm-hmm. My morning routine, I'm looking to shift a little bit right now. It's challenging with small children and, you know, dealing with the illness. It was like, uh, wake up when you wake up and then scramble, get everybody out the door. But routines in general, like daily habits, every day I have I'm really oversharing with you here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. I like then you make me feel like I'm good at asking questions because if I wasn't good at asking questions, you, you would be not. <laughs> this is makes great conversation, Christina. And the thing is, like, again, from the outside, people are going to look at you going, this girl's got it together, right? Like, and you do, but like, we're all still perfectly imperfect and we struggle and it's okay. And that's just part of being human, you know? Um, totally. Totally. And I think that's just, it's really like leaning into the discomfort. I always say to our team, as soon as you start to feel that discomfort, lean into it because that is an opportunity. That's where the growth is always, wherever you feel uncomfortable. Like imagine if you got up every day and whatever was the thing that was, you felt anxious about was the first, like you attacked it. You would be like, imagine the stuff that you would accomplish because most of us put our head in the sand. We ignore, we don't want to deal with it. We don't have that difficult conversation. But if you just embraced it and reframed it as this is growth, this is where all the growth happens. You know Um, what? That's a great, a great point. And actually it brings me back to the question about fear and discomfort. And I had the best advice from a really close friend of mine. I was going through a really challenging time, probably this time last year, and just couldn't shake it. I was in one of those funks. I was overwhelmed. It was all about one deal for work. It was just, it was all consuming for me. I was trying meditation. I was trying everything possible. And so I had a Zoom call with a good friend of mine. And he said to me, you know, this feeling that you're feeling right now, I said, yeah, I was like, think about it in the physical comparison. So imagine you're working out. I mean, obviously I work out a lot. So he's like, you're starting to like pump the iron. You're starting to exercise and your muscles engage. This is me elaborating on his version. Your muscles are engaged. So you know that moment when your muscles engage and you're like, oh yeah, there it is. Prior to that, you're just moving. You're just moving your body, right? Which is good. But then you start to feel those muscles and you're like, oh yeah, there it is. And then you're pushing through and you're pushing through. And you know that as it gets harder, you're getting stronger. And that's what drives you to get to that next rep is you're like, yeah, I've just got to get the reps in this. I'm getting stronger. And he was like, that's what you're doing emotionally right now. So it feels super uncomfortable, but every... But so does getting on a treadmill. So does lifting weights. Like if you want any growth, it's going to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Absolutely. That completely shifted my mindset around it. I love that. Again, that's just a reframing that situation, looking at it from a different... Oh, okay. You know, I read a book once about the four minute mile, the first people that broke it and how they thought it was impossible. Human body couldn't run that fast. And one of the things, this was back at the turn of the century, there was actually a belief in health that too much exercise was unhealthy, like your heart would expand. So these people that were out training really hard, they were like, this is dangerous. They looked at you like if you're out running, you know, at 1900s, the people were like, what's wrong with you? Is somebody chasing you? Because that is not safe. <laughs> there's a bear. <laughs> yeah, there's a bear. But so but now with science and stuff, we understand physiology, we're like, wait a second, that person's actually getting stronger. So we completely now go, okay, it's okay to be in a gym out of breath, you know, sore the next day. But emotionally and in the other parts of our life, how do we take that same, like you said, that same framework and apply it and go, this is where growth is. This is personal growth. 
I become the best version of me that I can become because I've actually pushed myself and I didn't just shrink and hide. And so I think that's really good. Um, I was listening last night to Brene Brown's research on shame. And so to circle back around to that, I think that there's a huge component of growth is forgiving yourself for who you were before you had the tools and the knowledge that you have today. Right. Yes. A lot of people circle back around to this blame and shame and this just sort of overwhelm in the state that they're in. But I think in order to really propel yourself forward, you have to forgive everyone around you. Holding on to that anger and that resentment doesn't serve any purpose, but also to yourself and say like, oh, that's a great learning experience. That was a really good opportunity for me to be the person who I am today and hopefully even an even better person tomorrow. Right. I'm very optimistic about life as long as I don't watch the news because I find the news is very negative. I always think with the news, if a million people get home safe one night, one person doesn't, that's what we talk about. It's like okay. the 999,000 that, because like, it's not exciting. It's why we slow down at car wrecks because we're human. We're like, what happened there? You know? So I'm very optimistic about the future, about how things are going. And I do think that we have to like really, you know, um, I just lost my train of thought. So this is the first, I'll, I got I'll off track. Jump in I'll jump in for you. Okay. Yeah. Jump in for me. I just lost my train of thought. I'm totally on the same. I'm yeah, following. We're, we're both on this off wavelength. Okay, go ahead. Totally. So a good friend of mine said to me the other day, because I was saying, I was saying how I was trying not to look at the car wrecks. Because I, I think I shared with you, I stopped watching TV. I completely live in a bubble. Like I love my little bubble and I just, but then sometimes I, I think, is this the right choice? I overthink, right? And we were just talking about specifically like, oh, but the car crash, you know, you can't help but look. And honestly, it's just such human nature. And she said to me, it's okay to look. It's okay to drive by and look. Just don't stop. Right. That's the key. Just don't stop. And Unless it was like, you're the only person on a lonely right, stretch of yeah, highway. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not stopping because it's bad for my mental health. Meanwhile, this person's in the ditch. So Unless you can help, of course. Unless you can help. If there's already paramedics on scene, you just keep yeah. going. You had touched on briefly before we started chatting, redefining success. Could you touch on that for a minute? You know, I think this ties into being authentic and, you know, protecting our mental health as well. Yeah, yeah. I think especially in this year and in the time that we're in now, and a lot of people are really reevaluating success and what it means to them. I think it's easy to get trapped in the illusion that someone else's version of success will be fulfilling for us. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to be chasing and get lost down in someone else's path and then feel as though we've done something wrong or as though we're never getting that satisfaction. I mean, that's a whole other conversation is, will you ever feel satisfied? Are you constantly trying to be better, right? But Mm -hmm. when you're looking at what your purpose is, what your goal, what you're bringing to the world at the end of the day, we chatted before about how insignificant we are as humans in the universe as a whole, in the galaxy. And so what are you going to do with the time that you have, this tiny little version of time on this tiny little planet? How are you going to make the best out of that? And it might not be the path that you're on right now. So being honest with yourself about that and really being okay that it might not be what society says is completely normal. And that's totally awesome because it's for you. It's absolutely just for you and for your family, you know? So I think really, yeah, just redefining. Follow-up question to that. So can you give me an example of an area, how you've redefined success for you? Either mm-hmm, something, Absolutely. So give we'll me something talk- specific that you thought one way and now you're like, wait a second, that's somebody else's silly goal or silly thing. This is what matters to me. Yeah. I would say in our business specifically, it was volume. Right. It was, if you hit this target, you will be successful. You will feel like you have made it. You're the guy, you're the gal, like you're amazing. And then you hit that. 
I always have a moving target goal. It's so ridiculous. Every year, I, even as soon as I start to get it, I'm like, oh, better move that one a little bit farther, right? right. But it's interesting to me because volume itself doesn't dictate your net income, which is no. going to be really what matters to our families. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really ego-driven metric to compare ourselves to each other. And we know that comparison is the thief of joy, right? Mm -hmm. So why are we striving for this specific number? And then for me, it was recognizing that A, my personal goals need to be focused more on net income rather right. than volume itself. And then B, it was the time and it was the satisfaction and it was the level of customer service. I could do however many mortgages, but if my clients weren't feeling served to the highest and best of their ability or to my ability, and if they weren't blown away with the experience, that wasn't as fulfilling for me. Right. So it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the ego strokes. I kept saying, I need to feed my family, not my ego. And right. so I guess that, that for me specifically was a really That's good. So you basically shifted from this idea that it's all about volume because everybody may, it's like, hey, it's kind of like a golfer with his drive. It's like, how far are you hitting the ball? It's like, who freaking cares? Totally. You know, you're more like thinking, what's my score on the scorecard? And did I enjoy the people I was golfing with? Yeah. Right? You're not and just like, hey, I got up and hit it really hard. Yeah. Yes, to totally. And like, did I have a great time? Did I go like, how many times do you remember golfing with your buddies where you got the best score you were, you know, or did you remember that time that you guys really connected and had a super awesome time? It's about how you make people feel, how you feel in that moment, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I'll leave you with this last kind of thought. So what you're talking about, this idea of redefining success for yourself and not letting society, your parents, even your spouse, I mean, you should have obviously have a conversation, but like, you got to figure out what success looks like. John Wooden, who's the most winningest coach in NCAA basketball history, he got like 10 championships. Nobody's ever going to do that again. He says, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of the self-satisfaction of knowing you made the effort to become the best of mm -hmm. which you're capable. It's mm -hmm. all internal. So he never focused on winning. He focused on you improving you and doing your best. And they won a ton. But the winning was never the thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is our society's really got us messed up, I feel like. But that's amazing. I love chatting with you, Christine. Like, honestly, we could talk for hours. But where can people find you online if somebody wants to look you up? ChristineBuman.ca or Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, I'm not on social media as much, but. Not as much, but okay. Well, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. We will do this again at some point. Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, my conversation with Christine, as you can tell, was definitely a bit different than my typical episode. But again, certain people you just connect with and you have amazing conversations. So check out Christine online. She runs an amazing business and it's just so inspiring to have conversations with really smart people. In this upcoming segment, I'm going to be talking to Reuven about the benefits of a virtual closing. And we'll jump into that now. Hey, Reuven, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me again. So, hey, let's talk today about the benefits of a virtual closing. So instead of, you know, getting in your car, getting somebody to watch your kids, driving to a lawyer's office, trying to find parking, sitting in the waiting room and getting in front of the lawyer, sign and then go back and hope to goodness, hopefully there's no mistakes in anything because that happens. So talk to me about virtual closings. Yeah. So let's talk maybe a little bit about the benefits, because as you mentioned, it's the experience that really matters. But when you look at a virtual closing, there's actually a few benefits that I'd love to talk about. The first benefit is really to the borrower. It's about the convenience, as you mentioned. It's not having to book a time, take time off, you know, during work, go visit a lawyer's office, 
pay for parking, commute, all that stuff. A virtual closing by nature is just super easy. You get a link, you do it at a convenient time. There's no printing and things like that that are involved. The other big part that a lot of folks don't realize is it really speeds things up. And as we know, you know, closing a mortgage, you know, time is really your worst enemy, right? The mm-hmm. longer sits out there, the more of a risk that your deal is at. So from a speed perspective, a virtual closing is generally a lot faster because we're not grappling with all the logistics of coordinating multiple borrowers coming in at the same time to sign, right? So they can sign in from different locations and so on. So it really, really speeds up the process for everybody that's involved for you as the broker, for the borrower, and obviously for us. Right. So, okay. More convenient. So that's one of the benefits for the borrower. And then would the second thing be it speeds things up or was there a second benefit that you think of? Yeah, I mean, the last but not least, as we know, we're going through another you know terrible uh, COVID wave and there's lockdowns and restrictions. It's just thinking about your client safety as well. So obviously, you know, being virtual is an option and it's a very viable option, you know, to keep your clients and their families safe. Right. You know, what I think about this too, is like the vast majority of mortgage brokers that I know, certainly all of the high producers, they do not meet with their clients face to face. And the reason they don't is because A, it's not as efficient for them. B, it's not as enjoyable for the client in most cases. And usually the only time people want to meet with you is when it's usually a bad loan that they want to convince you to do anyway. I know, no, I need to meet you. And then that's like code for, I'm going to show up and try to convince you that, yes, I know I haven't made any of my payments. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like we can't do this over the phone and, you know, an application, then we probably shouldn't work together. So we want to create an amazing experience for our clients. And we basically go back to 1985 when it comes to the lawyer part of it, which doesn't make any sense. Right. So I think a virtual closing makes a lot of sense. And so from your perspective, I know a lot of mortgage brokers and even people outside the mortgage space have been adopting your guys' technology at Deeded. So like, what has been the feedback like from brokers that have jumped in and tried this out? Yeah, so the feedback's really been overwhelmingly positive. And ultimately, our number one goal is to provide a smooth, as seamless as a closing experience as possible. So obviously, you know, being that last mile conduit to making sure that the deal closes and funds and closes in time, and that everybody involved, and that's not only the client, but the broker as well, has a very consistent set of communication and transparency so that everybody knows what's going on. That's been the feedback that we've been getting consistently from brokers in the market. That's They love the transparency. They love that they can count on their client having a great experience. Because we all know when you have a great experience as a client, it reflects back on the broker and it impacts your ability to generate you know, more word of mouth, more referrals, and even so much so as uh, impacting your sphere of influence. So if you've got a realtor, you're getting your deals from Client has a great experience. Everybody benefits. Everybody wins at the end of the day. So that's what yeah. happening. Everybody wins. So, okay. A question that pops in my mind is, so what if somebody's not tech savvy? So like, let's say you got that non-tech savvy client. How does that work? So everything we develop in terms of our technology and everything we roll out is really made to be as simple and as easy as possible. So our benchmark to be able to, for example, virtually close is can you get or have you ever been like on a Zoom call or Google Hangouts and so on? Because we believe if you've done that, you can go through that process, you can do a virtual closing as well. So that kind of speaks to the level of, you know, kind of minimum viable tech savviness that you need. On the other side, what we've seen is we've seen a lot of brokers that are helping their clients and you know perhaps they do come into the office for the signing and 
broker opens up a laptop or an iPad for them and they can sign at a convenient time. And if you think about that, now you've got another opportunity to sort of, you know, solidify that relationship and be there at that moment when, you know, the deal closes and funds and they sign their documents. So it just earns you a lot more points. So even for the non-tech savvy consumer or borrower, we're there. And the last piece is we've got an entire team and infrastructure to support people as they go through. So if there's ever any questions or if they're having any difficulty, they can always do the process over the phone. We can take some of their information and data, plug it in and still get it done for who may not be as comfortable. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. So a quick recap then. Benefits are borrowers more convenient. It's more convenient for the borrower. It speeds up the process. I know that a lot of times there's been lawyers lately saying we're not taking any more transactions this month. Have you guys ever had to do that? Fortunately not. We've always uh, been able to build up expertise and capacity way ahead of- uh, Between the tech and the team, you've not had to say, hey, we can't, because I see that happen frequently. And that also, it's safer for your clients given what the heck, this new world we live in. So any kind of last thoughts on this, on the idea of a virtual close? Yeah. So again, I know for a lot of folks listening, there's probably a little bit of inertia or anxiety to dive into something new. So I always say, look, there's a new year ahead of you. You're looking for ways to step up your game, step up the services that you're offering and really offer a great and unique and differentiated experience. So I always encourage people, and this is a mantra I practice myself, is like, hey, look, try everything. Try something once. And if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. But that's the way to always grow yourself professionally and, you know, just get out there, try your first virtual closing, talk to your client, get the feedback. And I can confidently say that odds are you'll love it and it becomes a usual practice for you. Right. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like it back to like skip the dishes. You got to try it once and go, this is actually really convenient. Now, like you guys are kind of like the skip the dishes of this. Okay. So if you're listening to this, you guys want to check out Reuven, his company, Dita.ca. They got a fantastic process, very transparent. Clients love it. Like he said, you know, people can sign from multiple locations. Just go to dita.ca slash ILMB and check that out. And thanks again, Ruben, for coming on chat with me. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right. So if you're listening to this, thanks again for checking out this episode, the conversation with Reuven and Christine was so much fun today. Also, if you're a mortgage broker and you're like, man, how do I get my business organized? I want to get it dialed in. We have something called 10 Loans a Month Academy. So go to 10loansamonth.com. We only open it a few times a year. It is limited in space because all of our coaches, I'm only one of the coaches, and all of our coaches are amazing mortgage brokers that have a superpower, something they're really good at. And because they're full-time mortgage brokers, they have limited coaching time, so it always fills up. So get on that wait list. And then uh, next time that we open our doors, you can check that out. Check out 10loansamonth.com. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.